Welcome all to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim Territories. My name is Matt, and joining me in the living borders beneath the minds of Mandalore is Pete. Hello there, Pete. What up, all my Mandos and my Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for the Season 3 finale, Chapter 24, The Return. Pete, what a week. Here we are about to talk about the sci-fi conclusion of this season of a shiny-headed male protagonist with a child <laughs> out there in the stars tomorrow. We'll talk about the Picard series finale, about a shiny-headed man out there in the stars with his son. Uh, and we'll talk about and how... robots. And robots. <laughs> and robot friends along the way. Um, Pete, we're going to talk about how they did it. They did it. They they landed the epic um, series finale. Uh, remains to be seen what with the hashtag Star Trek Legacy, uh, whether there will be more and whether the market can even sustain that, uh, both currently with the potential of a Writers Guild of America strike and, you know, all the other Star Trek uh already existing and announced earlier this week um but we'll deal with all that in due course tomorrow over here in a galaxy far far away matt uh variety has an article by uh mark malkin in which um damon lindelof who uh left the uh, Star Wars film that uh, Daisy Ridley is now attached to uh, has been making the rounds this week with the premiere of the show he is shepherding along with uh, co-showrunner Tara Hernandez, Mrs. Davis on Peacock um, and uh, first real quote substantive quote about leaving that project that that script was a true labor of love. Um, the one that Charmaine obeyed Chinoy, uh, formerly of Ms. Marvel and Oscar winning documentarian, uh, is slated to direct. I have seen back chatter that, uh, at least one actor left when Lindelof left. Um, but he goes on to say, I wish them all the best of luck. Uh, Charmaine is an incredible director and I can't wait to see what she comes up with. Pete, sometimes it's the moves or the movies that you don't make. That's not to say that I think his script, which of course I have no idea what was in it, that it was not good, but you know, if it doesn't meet that high bar, so be it. Uh, Pete bringing it a bit closer here to talk about the Mandalorian. Uh, of course, next week we'll be doing a season three wrap uh, and before you know it, we'll be talking about the Ahsoka series, which of course has its summertime debut that uh, gets closer day by day because that's how time works. Yes, and uh, I've seen Matt's uh, podcast album art for that, and we'll be launching our 34th podcast feed with the Ahsoka podcast by Fantastic Geek real soon. Can't wait for you guys to check it out. For now, though, it's time to hit the hunt. Blaster-wielding Bo-Katan Kryze leads her squadron of Mandalorians away from the secret Imperial base on Mandalore back the way they came as she contacts Axe Wolves, 
who is jetpacking his way back to the fleet above the planet. She tells him Moff Gideon is alive and using their home world as his base from which he's launching ships to destroy their fleet. She tells him to evacuate everyone and use the light cruiser as a decoy. They can't beat him in the air. They've got to mount a ground assault. As Axe heads into the stormy upper atmosphere, he confirms her orders and their communication cuts out. Bo and Casca Reeves hold off a group of Imperial Beskar commando troopers with a well-placed thermal detonator before Bo jetpacks away from them to cover them in rubble. Pete, I get annoyed when a show opens, you know, when you live in this world where you could do a previously on segment, just in general, I'm not talking about this episode in particular, this show in particular, you could do a previously on. If there's info that you want to give to the audience to recap within the narrative, it annoys me when they do that moments after the last episode ended i remember distinctly with a season two episode of lost where like the camp was attacked at right at the end of last week's episode but then the next episode is five minutes later and they stand around and go i can't believe that we were attacked and it kind of you know it's inauthentic i get you need to update the audience especially if it's one episode a week blah 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 so i get annoyed when shows do that but this episode has Bo speaking to someone who was not there, giving Axe the update he needs in that moment for real. Yep. It also is clearly functioned to be a recap, a previously on, a whatever, despite the fact that this episode also had a previously on. So I love the fact that this writing room of three and mostly John Favreau, they're doing the they're doing a let me update the audience thing but it's fully within the fabric of the episode and not kind of a contrived well i know we need to make sure that the dullards at home remember from a week ago so thumbs up that they did what they needed to do which is make sure that we're clear on the intent and gideon is here he has a crew it's this not the other you need to go up and do this and come to all of that is spelled out in the first 15 seconds in a vitally authentic way Absolutely was the word I was going to use. Authentically done. Meanwhile, Din Djarin breathes heavily as he's dragged away by a duo of commandos. He fights off his captors, stealing a knife and cutting himself free. He kicks a blaster out of the hands of one of the troopers and eludes the other's flamethrower, turning it on the other He's lassoed and pulled in, but then IG-12 carrying Grogu says no to that, freeing Din and spraying him with the Bactamist. Now we know, Matt, why they never showed us uh, Grogu have to manipulate IG-12 uh, through the hole that Bo had cut in the back of the room, but of course he, he did make it out. He just didn't go with them in the commotion. Uh, Din asks Grogu to cut him loose. Of course, it's a yes. He thanks him and tells him he needs to be brave for him as they can't keep running. If they don't take out Gideon, it'll never end. Grogu babbles and nods in agreement as we go to the title card for chapter 24, The Return. Mando standing in front of what I would like to call IG Grogu. Um, 
it struck me. Sounds like a uh, kaiju anime type thing. <laughs> or it's like it's you know it's like it's the Star Wars version of a DJ. I don't know. Ig Grogu. <laughs> Anyhow, one of the interesting takeaways from this scene uh, is the fact that Grogu in the Ig suit means that Grogu's eye line is now a little bit shorter than that of Mando. So you can do things that you haven't been able to do in the past, like have both of them in the same shot, do a two shot, still have our hero, the Mandalorian, be slightly taller and kind of be, you know, filling the frame a bit more and so forth. But you get that close, you know, they can stand next to each other and have a conversation and have a two shot and have that, you know, have all that interaction. I really have to wonder if part of the reason this suit, this suit for Grogu entered the story because these writer directors, uh, you know, and so forth are standing around going, it's kind of a pain in the butt to shoot a conversation between the guy and the puppet. There's no human faces. Is that the other, we can't do a thing where they even stand next to each other without it being this height difference. So again, sometimes, you know, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention here. Now we have a two shot. The practicality and then changing it up too, even though it does not seem to last past these two episodes. As Bo guides her people to safety, Din contacts her to tell her that uh, he and Grogu are safe. As he takes a trooper's jetpack, he says he's going after Gideon and wants to know if she has a location. She explains that they're under attack and tells Din to stay safe. The Mandalorian captain tells her if they get to the surface, he knows where they can hide out. And they all jetpack out as TIE interceptors launch like bats, leaving their cave. And Gideon views a hollow schematic of his base. Moff Gideon or Cloth Gideon, to be discussed <laughs> in theories. Uh, as you say, Pete, as he's looking at the, the schematic here, he sees that Mando is still here. He's the a little second. red dot. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Gideon puts on a helmet saying that he will take care of Mando himself. Wait, wait, Matt. When you put on your helmet, though, I didn't hear ridiculous echo. There was some. There was some, which I remember learning. I don't have an empty cup here at the moment. I don't know if this. Oh, no, I do. I remember learning a trick, actually, from the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe the second season. You know how you can do that? You hold a cup by the microphone, you say, I'm going to get you, Mandalorian. <laughs> and and uh, that's how they do it sometimes in the booth. It was a little over the top there. They're usually much better with the sound design. Um, uh, Pete, maybe... <laughs> Maybe Star Wars is not immune to busy schedule and racing towards a release date. Uh, regardless, we have Mando and IG Grogu sneaking about. Uh, R5, hero of the Rebellion, is radioed. Uh, he's going to need to make his way down and scomp in. Pete, that's, as I'm sure you know, the in-universe word for kind of computer linking in. Uh, and R5 uses those well-known astromech rockets to fly on in. And Pete, I had a moment of reflection when he like launches down. I'm like, yeah, of course. And I was instantly transported back to seeing those rockets for the first time. Was it Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith? Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. And then being like, oh, this is ridiculous. And now it's just, among other things, it's a handy way to get a droid from all the way up there to all the way down here. Um, and Pete, love the nervous beeping. I don't know when I'm going to use that in life, but there will be times where I will 
I know that I will have nervous beeping in my own head. Uh, he's avoiding those mouse droids and does indeed ultimately scomp in and after some searching and so forth, sends a map to Mando. Yes, Mando, unable to speak binary, but definitely able to check out those schematics sent to him on his gauntlet there. He and Grogu are going to attack that command center. Axe clears the atmosphere and alerts the fleet. The scouting party has been ambushed by Imperial remnants who have launched fighters to destroy them. He tells the fleet captain to load the Mandalorian gauntlet dropships with all available troops as reinforcements. As he enters the hangar bay, he tells them to leave the ship as a decoy. He reaches the bridge and will take care of the ship. They hurry out and jetpack to the dropships, sliding onto open ramps at high atmosphere and descending in what was a, a really, I thought, cool handoff. Hey, these guys, jetpack over here and we're going to slidey slide and now we're going to go down and into the old mist there, uh, into the storm, and then a beat and those Imperial attack forces exit, blasting the cruiser, which Axe defends with turbo laser cannons. And good use of the pre-existing set here as he's kind of like at this one station and then over at the, the other station, it kind of, again, in a very visual way, without dialogue, without him on the radio, without him muttering to himself, you can just see he's able to get the ball rolling here, but this is not going to be the world's greatest space battle as Axe, you know, Axe cannot Star Trek style say, computer, target all the whatever. Like, he, we need button pushers. He's the only guy. He's just trying to buy time. By the way, I love how here and in previous scenes, uh, when we come to some of the TIE Fighter shots, they've made use of the cameras mounted on the TIE Fighter. This, of course, mm -hmm. is all virtual, but it looks great. It looks like how it's oftentimes done in the real world, including, you know, I wonder if, like, was Top Gun Maverick uh, or similar an inspiration here, but it just looks... It's part of our visual language that when you want to get a great real-life shot of a fast thing, you take a little GoPro and you bolt it on super tight and you get great images, and we're doing it here, just minus the GoPro. Axe sits in that captain's chair and puts on the helmet as he's repeatedly strafed because it's going to be a rough ride. In the base below, Din and Grogu reach the force fields outside Gideon's command center, but he doesn't have any weapons and warns Grogu it might get messy. He needs R5 to drop the barrier shields one at a time. He drops the first one and Din surprises two commandos. The others prepare with riot shields and uh, tell still others to open the shield so they can gang up, but the controls won't respond thanks to R5 on the other end. Din uses a trooper as a shield and throws a knife into the other, but fails to grab it before he drops off a ledge. Uh, Din takes another knife and has R5 drop the next shield, taking on two troopers with stun batons. He kicks one off and R5 drops the next shield so he can fight them with a baton and shield, stealing a blaster and at one point even firing through the hole 
in the shield, this tense, close quarter, one at a time, force field battle. Uh, you know, we had gotten this incremental, uh, you know, barrier before the the shadow council obviously you know you don't want to make it so people can walk right through and listen to your super secret imperial remnant shadow council but you know all the while it was setting up an action set piece and i will add pete that the last time we were in this setting it looked to me that the force field was only covering the walkway and not the entire width of the space maybe i miss saw uh maybe they've may, i don't know regardless it's very clear here that it is a force field the entire length of the way uh so good job show for making sure it's clear especially you know in a, in a scene such as this uh pete the hero of the moment of course is not mando but rather r5 who did all the did all the help here uh more mouse droids have come there are little police lights on uh so r5 just gets out of there which Pete, looking back now through the lens of the totality of the episode, it's not R5 getting away so that he can do more in the episode. It's R5 getting away so we know Hero of the Rebellion, R5, uh, is somewhere else and not destroyed in the climax of the episode. So good job there. The little the little motivated R5 droid continuing to, uh, to go on and on in the Star Wars universe. Scaredy droid to uh, once again Hero... Uh, zapping the one mouse droid and then ganged up by others. Love how one like just straight up rolls over the ledge and was never seen from again. Uh, but now Din motions to Grogu to follow him as they enter the command center where they find the cloning cylinders with a familiar face visible inside. Grogu examines the cylinders and Din tells him it's not Gideon, but his clones. One opens his eyes and it's a great jump scare moment that frightens Grogu. But Din sabotages the controls and causes the cylinders to explode and flood the room as they escape. Meanwhile, Bo and Co., continue on to what i'd like to call pete the genesis caves yes uh, it appears that they have uh grown food we are told Life it is from it, lifelessness it, absolutely um oh i i thought it may be a cutscene. matt we'll get it when we have the mandalorian season three you know uh behind the scenes okay but I neglected to notice and, and mention last week. So the character known in the subtitles as Scout, that's Skinny Pete from my The Breaking Bad. And uh, I call him Skinny Scout here. I, I think there's a uh, there's a, a portion where he heads over and, you know, grabs a, a piece of uh, fruit and, uh, you know, James T. Kirk style snaps on it while uh this conversation's unfolding is there also a deleted scene where somebody takes a, a flatbread with uh tomato sauce and cheese and throws it on the roof or is that a, is that a completely other story universe <laughs> that's uh i think that's season four um the notion here though that life has found a way they have not uh transported i mean they have done farming in these caves however all the plants are native 
to Mandalore and just this notion that the many centuries of the Mandalorian Civil War prevented, uh, you know, prevented life from taking root and all of that. And um, really just a moment of optimism. Maybe it's in the script to kind of be a, a, a very kind of, not quite behind the scenes, but a very kind of vague, like, and as people come back to Mandalore, they can grow their own food and stuff. You know, but I'm not quite sure other than the loveliness of the moment itself. Oh, this is completely seeding, Matt, pun intended, for the next season. Um, Pete, maybe it's also seeding like some sort of like Mandalorian salad option at, <laughs> uh, at a Galaxy's Edge expansion. That is Pete, if that does not offend the state of Florida too much. Salad? I don't know. Um, regardless, Pete, it's time to rock it away for round two. Um, they, Bo and Co, take to the skies. They meet up with the drop ships. Really just lovely visuals throughout. How about um, the armorer leading that pack of uh, drop ships there, contacting her lady Crees with the reinforcements arriving? Um, Pete, I think you were correct that the episode the spies that that was a biblical reference and i know that i saw some gnashing on mid-level blogs to say but there was the biblical reference but there should have been actual more spies and it was like no i think it no covered. you're not the writer and you don't get to determine what the writer wrote you you cannot agree with it but it's not as if they violated what was there just because they didn't give you the spies you wanted okay Unplug, you go write your own. I completely appreciated the dramatic tension that, you know, twice in this, okay, Axe is, is getting up to the ship, and it's even blocked in such a way, Matt, with the fleet captain looking, and at, at moments there, like, is there a betrayal moment coming? That That's intentional. Well, and that's just it, Pete. The title, which... Again, I think we can say, indeed, Pete, you were a thousand percent right. The Spies was a biblical reference, but it also served it served to make us go on the theory journey that we all did. Um, and the fact that the story doesn't go there, you know, that's okay. It just adds to, Pete, it's weird. This is two sci-fi finales that kind of hint at a certain outcome. Two sci-fi finales this week that hint at a certain outcome and then don't pull the trigger on it probably to the, probably choosing the best story option. Um, but yes, regardless here, we have all the Mandalorians now jumping from the, the job, the drop ships, uh, including the armorer with her hammer and tongs in hand. Um, again, that just adding to these wonderful visuals here, Bo takes out her dark saber, lights it, leading the way, entering the cave. I love that it's Pete. What do the cool people say? It's all, it's all gas, no brakes. As uh, they race towards the Beskar troopers, the Beskar troopers race towards them. I personally wouldn't have minded some sort of, you know, kind of sword and sandal style. Like, let's have a couple digital extras from each side, like, just ram into each other and like, oh, kind of that, that moment. But maybe it's because they're all good at flying. I don't know. It's a wonderful fight. We got savage hits from the armorer and um, just a flawless sky battle here that's unfolding. Meeting in midair, blasters, tools, and dark saber clashing like swarms of jetpack wearing insects. The command center door hisses open, and Din enters wielding dual blasters, 
with Grogu behind to see the hollow map of the base. And the door closes behind them with the controls unresponsive. The other door opens and Gideon tells them his clones were finally going to be perfect with the best parts of him, but improved by adding the one thing he never had, the Force. He was isolating the potential to wield it and incorporating it into an unstoppable army, and that din smothered them before they could draw their first breath. Din exits the room, firing, and Gideon sends a rocket his way as Grogu hides. Gideon puts his helmet on and Din rushes him, but his dark trooper armor slows and pounds him. And the Praetorian guards step out of the mist from behind crates and attack. They attack all at once. Again, something they did not do in The Last Jedi. Go back, watch the fight choreography. Uh, Mando is downed, but not out, since the show is called The Mandalorian. Uh, it is IG Grogu who saves the day, um, drawing them uh, towards him. Some force action there as well. But now they end up in what I guess we could call the the inside room uh, or an interior room, the door closing there, Mando unable to help because Gideon pulling him back. Um, Gideon, you know, not firing a rocket at a time where it might hit Mando in his unprotected parts, you know, because because story. Um, Also, I think, too, Gideon wants to win the fight on kind of, the the proper the proper grounds of fighting and so forth so there's tension here we're worried for grogu in the other room we're worried for mando and gideon um here more in the kind of the 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 launch bay area we cut to the fight back in the the what i call kind of the caves sky if you will just three different things going on wonderful wonderfully intercut as we make our way for the next several scenes through all of this um, maybe we'll head back inside the chamber where Grogu's IG body is damaged. He jumps out, running along the lighting rig, giggling. I think Pete not fully appreciating the 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 the, the danger of the moment, which only makes us all the more concerned for the lad. Uh, but Pete, take us back outside. Casca shoots a combo, and then it's hammer time for the armorer. Casca then sliding across one of the deck ledges before levitating and knee rocketing two more Beskar commandos. Um, Gideon still using his suit here to overpower Din and Bo impales a commando in the air with the dark saber and sees Gideon and Din fighting below flying in and knocking Gideon down, telling Din, she's got this, so he can go save his kid. Bo lights her blade, Gideon takes out his buzz staff. Uh, maybe if you look as he moves the buzz staff after it's kind of expanded all in one shot, maybe it's like the least perfect shot in the episode. It still you got to nitpick and you got to watch closely inside Grogu's light rig has been broken. He falls, he's pinned down by it as the Praetorian guard advance on him. That's when Mando comes in to save the day. Uh, he takes out one guard by shooting him in the foot. Pete, this is not the first time Mando has moved, uh, used this move. It's a good one. 
Uh, it's a fair move here. Intercut, we have Bo and Gideon seemingly uh, evenly matched. Um, and back with Mando, it seems like he's slowly getting the upper hand in his fight with the Praetorian Guard, in part because Grogu is using his upper hand magic to force block the baddies, to push their weapons away and so forth, uh, and Mando ultimately blasting all three to win that particular round. Telling the kid he did good there. As thunder rumbles above the base, another thunderous sound of the careening light cruiser crashing down cuts through it. Axe is holding on in the captain's seat and contacts Bo and Casca, telling them to clear everyone out because he's going to take out the base. Gideon pushes Bo to the ledge a second time with his electrostaff and says, if she hands over the Darksaber... He'll give her a warrior's death, but she attacks, slashing him across his chest, but he catches her hand. And with that dark trooper Mandalorian armor crushes the dark saber in her hand and then removes her helmet. Has she lost it all? He does say, Pete, that Mandalorians are nothing without their trinkets. Uh, the trinket aspect here, the the total contradiction that uh, he's done nothing but arm himself with Beskar ally, with with wrist rockets, with all these uh, things, jetpacks, and and wants a dark saber and all these other things. So you know, I'll I'll castigate you for using them, but I'll I'll do those things. Okay, it's the height of hypocrisy um but as that's going on uh and and we kind of expect this and following katie sackoff's eye line you can see she's clearly looking past um giancarlo esposito and she tells gideon that mandalorians are stronger together and din and grogu come from behind here now on the attack with blaster bolts axe guides the cruiser toward the craggy base rocketing a window and jetting out and the mandalorians jetpack away as it bear downs but Bo, din and grogu are still in there battling gideon uh Bo slides in front with her hollow shield and grogu force pushes gideon uh and the fire from the crash seems to consume the Beskar ensconced, but screaming Gideon as Grogu does his thing like he did at the end of season one in the Cantina on Navarro and shields them from the fire triumphantly until it passes. Wonderful climax there. Later in the living waters beneath the Minds of Mandalore, uh, Ragnar's ceremony, which Pete, we had noted all the way back, was never fully completed. And we were like, so is that a, you know, because the big monster came, the crocodile and so forth. Now Ragnar's ceremony will be completed. Huzzah. Um, I kind of like the sound of the water hitting his helmet, by the way. Just a nice little, I don't know, maybe somebody needs to do an ASMR video there, you know. Pour the water on the helmet. Clickety-click. I don't know, but... <laughs> 
Um, Mando brings Grogu uh, to the the altar place here. Uh, he wants Grogu to be recognized as a proper apprentice, no longer a foundling. Uh, but it is repeated, something that we've heard before, that he cannot speak the creed. Grogu cannot. Uh, there's sadness in Grogu's face here, these amazing puppeteers. But what if his parents gave permission? No, says the armorer, as his parents are far from here, if alive at all. Um, it's almost like she's she's trying to set up a softball here for Mando, who says, what if Mando adopts him? Uh, then the armorer says, this is the way. It's a great pause, Emily Swallow here, who we've still not seen her face, but it is her the majority of the time in the armorer costume. Great intonation here as she goes on to say it will be written in song that din is accepting the foundling as his son how can you not have your heartstrings pulled by this we all wanted this now din grogu mandalorian apprentice i'm gonna pause you here armorer throw some respect on sir din grogu's name hmm uh yes maybe 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 she didn't know maybe she didn't get the update maybe that's a season four thing um she does say that they must leave mandalore so that this apprentice may learn and grow from uh from din Djarin, much as din Djarin did with his teacher pete did you feel the implication that maybe the armorer uh apprenticed uh din Djarin, that perhaps for, she was his teacher did was sure. that in the ether okay yeah and i i like that it's it's both spoken and unspoken that you know th- these gray areas that that star wars can explore and you know you have the sequels where all right the emperor returned via cloning and now we've gone back and and done there there's a a at least fork in terms of cloning experience and the um imperial remnant like that could be matt i I got an old lightsaber but it's a story for another time that you never get or it could just be like i got the thing now well i think that's you know because part of the star wars foundation is you know like it's a world war ii movie like the original star wars is a world war ii movie and all these other things and hero with a sword and all this, like the, the totality of world war two allows you to say, let's do the, the rebels fighting the impossible army. Okay. That's one story. Let's do another one. That's after the war. Let's do something that's far from the front lines. Let's do something. That's the most important battle ever. That's D day that there's kind of all, all of that there versus maybe say a star Trek where part of its foundation is the ship out there kind of on its own. And, you know, can you have successful big battles and so forth? Yes, but just baked into Star Wars is the the ability to be like, where did those D Day uh, dropships come from? You know, the the ones with the 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 ramp in the front. There's a whole story to that that you could explore in some real world capacity. Let alone here, we can have side cultures and so on and so forth. It's just built into the universe. The uh, dual upshot of this exchange is one the basically soft reboot to the original premise 
after a 24 chapter arc has fulfilled the Mandalorians retaking their thought destroyed cursed homeworld that uh, the bounty hunter can week to week go on adventures, although there's modification to what that will mean and do it with the little buddy that he first hunted down and now has adopted. And then that Grogu in context of all of this looks into the waters and the transition shots going further and further. Oh, here's decayed steps because this was bombed out and collapsed. And deep down below the mythosaur, though it didn't come up and eat Moff Gideon or Din or uh, Bo or Grogu or Axe or the Armorer or Casca or the Fleet Captain or all the other Mandalorians didn't ride it to to do stuff, can still later do that. But the eye opens and it bellows ever so softly because we're not done with this creature. Later, uh, Bo-Katan is given a torch from the armorer and Bo relights the great forge before the assembled faithful. There's masked and unmasked alike. Peach is standing next to each other. A beautiful show of, uh, show of Mandalorian diversity here. Uh, Axe Wolves leads them in the cry for Mandalore. Uh, a wonderful moment of renewal there. Uh, Mando and Grogu return to a Delphi base, which Pete, I had pondered, maybe might happen in this episode. Uh, Mando speaks to Carson uh, Teva in the background. You got your Dave Filoni, you got your Lee Isaac Chung, you got your Oscar winner, Peter Ramsey. Um, but the proposition to Carson Teva, essentially, hire the Mandalorian to go on VIP jobs next season. Um, Carson Teva seems... I love the pacing in this scene, which is essentially like Carson Teva should not immediately jump at this, but you know, Favreau, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, the director, everybody knows we're in the last couple scenes of this episode here in the last couple scenes of the season. Let's keep it moving. You know, don't worry, says Mando. I know you're going to accept it anyway. Oh, and I need uh, a down payment, a small down payment. Why? Uh, why don't we grab that IG head that's up there as a trophy because we're going to do something with it in the final scene. This next to at least two um, Stormtrooper helmets, all these trophies, we get a far better look at the top of the bar here. There's a, a probe droid out there. It's a really great piece, and I hope in the behind the scenes we're going to get soon we don't have a date yet probably by may the 4th uh to get a real good look at that I, that just screams like where where's my adelphi base cantina little playset that i can set my pilots in front of having you know a, a, a cocktail but um two of those helmets it's they're great easter eggs they're decorated like the death troopers novel by joe schreiber there that of course a, a zombie story set in the star wars universe that is a super intentional uh reference there interesting if that could ever turn into anything but uh yeah that 
the spoken uh, idea here, this off the books proposition that is a, a a good deal. It it's a breezy conversation as Din is going to take his youngling apprentice with him. But uh, hey, how does that affect me? Well, I'm a bounty hunter by trade, and I can be more selective. Okay, you guys lack the resources in the Outer Rim to hunt down these Imperial remnants. But hey, there's the guy I took care of you, uh, of for you. You would have gotten him eventually. I got to him first, you know, no cap, as the kids say. So let me get this straight. You want to work for the New Republic? Well, on a case by case basis as this independent contractor. But this is. This is against regulation, Matt. It'll never get approved, which is why Din tells him that Carson Teva will never tell them. And that's what I want to see in the future is how they continue to make this like a a new republic off the books uh, white ops operation. I mean, Pete, maybe it's trading for maybe it's barter, you know? Hey, we got a case of the, uh, what's the, we got a case of Spotchka. Come on in. You want to take that? Sure. I'll take that back to Navarro, swap hey, it out. Grogu's fished out all the frogs on Navarro. I, I need some. You get me that and I'll, I'll, I'll take this next member of the shadow council out for you. Speaking of Navarro, let's not forget that that's where Mando's, uh, home base was when the show started. He returns now to Navarro uh, where uh, Mando and Grogu tell Grief Karga that they have a present. It is IG-11, the new marshal. That's right, he's back, baby. Uh, and Grief gives Mando and Grogu a lovely little, little cabin far outside of town, made clear, you know, for you to rest in between adventures. Because I guess, Pete, even at the writing of this episode, they thought that maybe some internet people would claim that this was a series finale and make hay with that on their low-level blogs and this is a way to say no there's future adventures coming um pete any thoughts here on the climactic return of ig11 the marshal i mean the the best marshal we could get here the the one we all wanted with the one we know is not gonna uh make allusions to to hateful things uh like some kind of pre-programmed robot but with the, the stripes there, the ability for Taika Watiti's character to come back 11 to 12 to 11 again. The, the 12 adventure was fun, uh, but evolution and at the same time, the ability to return as another version of that character leading to Din Djarin putting up his feet outside their little cabin there, Grogu getting to be a kid again, levitating those little frogs and full on credit to Rick Famuyiwa here, irising in on that. That is the, the focal point of our interest in the show. Uh, the kid being a kid as we go out to the credits for this third season. Let's chase down some theories, 
Matt, it seems every other season, perhaps, with a post-credit scene. We did not get one here. People are like, where's where's an Ahsoka thing? Or why can't we get Zeb, who wasn't in the cantina again, you know, reuniting with the Rebels and all that? We are getting a show in, I don't know, one, two, three, four months. Okay, so like... I think we can take a breath. You got a season two book of Boba Fett secret show that had already been filming the famous story. Migna Wen's like I'm filming season three of the Mandalorian. Oh wait, no, this is called the book of Boba Fett. Wait, what? I find that out through the TV like everybody else. And then, you know, we've, we've done, uh, and or, um, had the post credit scene as well. Uh, I won't spoil what, just in case you still haven't gotten to that or you really should get to it. Um, I'm spacing Matt whether uh, Book of Boba Fett, it was a true post credit scene or it was just, hey, the the rest of the story had ended and then we see uh, Cobb Vanth in the back to tank at Jabba's palace and um, the, the mod uh, guy helping him out all right, I think maybe he doesn't show up in Ahsoka, but I'd I'd bet money right now we see him again by Skeleton Crew. The the wording that the Hollywood Reporter used, uh, I, I I will use too, and and thusly crediting them because it was it was perfect. They said that this season ended not with a cliffhanger, but with a bow that wrapped everything up. And that's um, exactly the way I've been talking about this. This this episode was a present and you got it wrapped up in a nice bow. And the vast majority of us wanted this and can appreciate it. Except there are people who are complaining about the color of the wrapping paper. (laughs) I had been saying, particularly ahead of this episode and on last week's podcast, um, if not before that to chase the thrill of how season two ended to chase one of the great, you know, endings of a season, uh, certainly in star Wars television, such as it is with, you know, maybe maybe five, six, seven seasons, uh, under their belt, let alone just in general, the fact that nobody saw Luke Skywalker coming and then all of a sudden there it is. And just the power of it, it would have been folly to chase that. What are you going to do? Have Luke Skywalker come back again? Guess what? He's been in three episodes, you know, three episodes of TV ever. Mandalorian season two, two in Book of Boba Fett. Like it wouldn't have had the, the power. I know we talked about perhaps in some of the, the preview podcasts. Do they go for a de-aged uh, Harrison Ford? Do they go for Han Solo and Chewbacca? Again, that would have been cool. But do we really want these shows to be about characters authentically having moments and sometimes it's authentic amazing things like the luke skywalker of your childhood or depending on your age prior to your childhood prior to your life that luke skywalker returning it was nonetheless an authentic it was authentically set up in the course of that season you know do you want authentic interactions or do you want to just sit and go what's the next zinger what's the next zinger what's the next zinger because as we've seen in other properties maybe sometimes in marvel if you're just reaching for the zing at a certain point we all get numb to it so to just say this season is going to end on its own terms it's going to end with 
emphasis on the two main characters, emphasis on found family, emphasis on feeling secure in your perspective, your culture, your way of interacting with people and finding peace at home. Um, let that be the emphasis and not, well, if we have two Luke Skywalkers, then that's twice as astonishing. And then the next season we can have, like, again, you get diminishing returns. So let's just take the step down and end with the heart without, you know, and without the, the sizzle that there was last season. And, and that's just it. The simplicity of this ending. And again, one we'd all want. We want them to wind up together. You mentioned Luke, um, you know, thinking about what he says to Grogu that Din Djarin does not witness and that Grogu can't communicate to him. You know, Grogu is 50 and Din Djarin is not going to live as long as him. You know, a short time for Grogu is a lifetime for others. And this you know, adoptive family now that exists, that is the, the DNA of the show can continue, can continue with the original premise of being a bounty hunter of week to week, episode to episode going on this. I really hope they use this idea of the, the shadow council and taking them out. Matt, can you imagine you know, episode 27, the warden, you know, Din and Grogu go after the Imperial prison where they still have people barefoot and shocking them that uh, Johnny Coyne uh, reprises his role. And, and we've got to take out a, a different warlord, a, a different Imperial remnant week to week, like sign me up for that show sign me up for a season of that particularly since you know you use the phrase how there's a soft reboot at the end or soft return to the original concept of the show you know none of us in this glorious age of television the last thing that you can do is in my mind is do the same kind of thing week in week out that is successful in some venues i mean my goodness all the kind of NCIS, FBI, law and order stuff, that works for a lot of people. And if that's part of your jam, so be it. And if you know that at the half hour mark of law and order, the police stuff stops and the court stuff starts. And if that's if that's what you're looking forward to each week, great, wonderful. For kind of the prestige shows in the, you know, in the Walking Dead Game of Thrones shadow here, um, in that style, maybe not of, of tone, but in that style of storytelling, the story's always moving forward. We had this season where there was the emphasis on Mandalorian culture. Um, I think I was somewhat, I was somewhat dubious before the season began as to how deep we would get into Mandalorian culture. I was never dissatisfied. I never felt like it was too much or too one note. I think that they probably, in the wisdom of creating an entire season and in the wisdom of story arcs and all of that, I think they probably maximized it, also knowing that next season we're not going to sit and go, and here's the second verse of the song of Mandalore, and here's the like we're not going to go on a quest, a, a multi you know multi episode quest next season. I would posit for more Mandalorian identity and things of that sort. It might happen in an episode or two, but it's time to change the flavor of the show here, 
and you know as with anything else make sure it's not stale by never letting it get stale and the story can come and go into that retaken mandalore you know it's only eight episodes and and you say that many but at the same time like there's only so much story to explore and the economy with which to do that so to have this earned retaking of their home world i mean matt we've been talking about this for two years this season would be the the battle for mandalore (laughs) we thought they'd be battling each other instead gideon was hiding there okay and uh culturally appropriating their uh techniques their identity um and they they boot him off here the the story can go back now to see the progress i don't know mirroring like what's gone on on navarro right life is now uh finding a way on mandalore they just need room to grow so we can return to the forge and now like there's five armorers hammering away and look uh din Djarin, uh mandalorian teacher and uh you know sir din grogu uh i have made you now a new beskar samurai sword that you can decapitate moff so-and-so with on your next mission and we're gonna send some other randalorians with you i mean it it can continue to add to the premise of the show and and not completely violate it that's the beauty of the way they've tied this up for now i'd like to double down on one thing that you just said that season four absolutely includes some sort of uh, armor slash accessory refresh, not only because refreshing that toy line is also part and parcel with Star Wars, um, but again, kind of moving things forward, I think of I think of the very first uh, podcast album art we had, which was the original the original Mando armor, which was you know kind of more partial, and how you know at a certain point you go, ooh, like he's moved on, and we're not going back to we're not going back to the brown look. It's more the silver look now. Um, whatever is next, you know, again, it's just part of this logical move forward. He's and as had you a say, spear. He's, he's had the sword. You know, how about like some best guard nunchucks? Or, <laughs> you know, like let's get crazy. Some, I mean, the whistling birds are basically like throwing stars, I guess. But if we're going to take the idea that the, the suit is a knight, or a samurai, or whatever. You can continue to get weird with it. There's all sorts of things you can make out of this special metal and have fun with it. Like, you know, the the thing that I took away this week from seeing a lot of people react to this finale, and again, the great majority are like, this is good stuff. Um, But that Star Wars can't be the victim of its own success. And to evaluate this against andor which came in and oh yeah yeah it's the adult star wars that everybody already wanted and mandalorian is for infants and yada yada there can be different flavors of that even when we were doing andor and as wonderful as it is it's a different flavor it was time to be able to have 
the super dark chocolate fudge that the movies and the shows we had seen so far were not really, you know, made of those ingredients. But it's still okay to have, you know, strawberry ice cream. It's comforting and it's good and it's a classic as well. So next season, very obviously, we're going to get more Grief Karga, seeing as how Navarro is the home base. Um, and I think that they've settled they've settled into a good pace here where Carl Weathers directs an episode and he's in maybe three of them, something like that. I don't know to what degree they sh- maybe shoot block style. Um, and he's come in maybe with one director to shoot multiple scenes. Um, flip side, Pete, I, I don't know, with a with a with a post-covid filming world about to happen you know worth keeping in mind seasons two and three of mandalorian along with book of boba fett all filmed under the same covid protocol situation obviously not the same covid numbers out there but the same consideration taken for health concerns maybe you get even more carl weathers maybe maybe the decision has been made you know hey guys while this whole thing is going on can we i'd rather do 10 scenes across a season versus 20 just to just to be safe maybe we get more of him do you think yeah you know, how much more or how how many episodes do you think we see Bo-Katan next season because again I think we look back in this season we're probably gonna go oh my goodness she really really is the co-star of the season is that the case for season four I mean you ask me how many my immediate answer is not enough I, I want to see her every week um, you know, again, there was this chiding that, oh, you, you made the Mandalorian, not the main character anymore, because Mandalorian can't mean other Mandalorians, whether it's Grogu, as I've been saying since super early on in this season, whether it is Bo-Katan, whether it is the Mandalorian people. OK, so you can come in and out for that. We We don't know. Um, you know, what the status is for Katie Sackhoff's character moving forward. Thank God she survived this, that it didn't come to pass, that I'm going to serve you till your song is written, you know, you die and that's it and I can't help you anymore. So that's a mission too, Matt. Like, hey, Din, this is your old friend Bo on Mandalore. Uh, We're hearing about Imperials here and I will join up with you this week and we're going to take them out together. Like that's the continued evolution naturally. So of these stories, um, I don't think it'll be week to week. I- I'd love to get that. I just don't know that the central story will support that in terms of structure, but I would fully expect her to be involved. Thank goodness, Matt writer, John Favreau had to write the fourth season to finish the third season before a looming Writers Guild of America strike in which they can film, but they can't change anything. So that's what the script says. And the director's got to shoot exactly what's there because it is locked. And indeed, this past week, the Directors Guild reminded its members that there is a specific clause within the Directors Guild contract um, that says that, they're, that they cannot sympathy strike. That, that the Directors Guild, again, I'll just repeat it, does not sympathy strike. They continue, Part of their agreement with the producers is they continue to work 
uh, if there's a strike, uh, if another guild is striking, uh, and similarly the producers therefore don't lock out the director's guild. So while that's maybe not sympathetic for the writers, you're absolutely correct that you know John Favreau might be feverishly putting the final touches on those scripts for season four ahead of a potential shutdown on you know writer shutdown on may 1st but he can all you know he can in good conscience say here are the finished scripts let's start to pre-visualize let's start to set build let's start to you know so on and so forth to start to get stuff built in the computer for the volume and so forth and as a producer and a director in, in good conscience he can uh continue pete i know we're not doing a full kind of i know that we are doing rather a full season wrap next week i just want to note it appears that this season did not do the heavy lifting of setting up multiple series coming out of it. Find the pirate vein escaped and will show up in skeleton crew. But I just wanted to, yeah, again, as near as we can tell at this point with what is out there in terms of Ahsoka in the can coming out this summer, skeleton crew in the can coming out later this year, perhaps early next year, <laughs> watch the writer's strike. That'll the, the length of a writer's strike could impact when skeleton crew comes out. Um, but it just feels for as much as it was great to have some of those spinoffs seeded, uh, in season two, I rather appreciate that we were able to just keep it a tighter experience here. And, and this season did not need to do the heavy lifting of create the star Wars universe and streaming numbers and make sure that things are healthy and also brand new characters to be toys and also new experiences at the parks. Like it could just do its own thing. And there could be natural extensions of merchandising, character experiences, and all that as it comes up. And it's not as if this is the only point in the Star Wars timeline. We're we're doing multiple, you know, Andor before the original trilogy. The Acolyte now set further back than any time we've had. Okay, you've got the, the Mandoverse portion of this universe right now. That's your mandalorian that's your ahsoka that's your skeleton crew i i think three shows is enough to sustain a particular point in a universe oh and down the line a uh a six to seven year timeline where it's going to culminate in a movie directed by dave filoni so who knows what will continue to come oh yeah and i forgot to mention the book of boba fett that you know we didn't need him to show up in this. Could he have? And and would it have been a moment to cheer? Yes. I think looking at the story they presented, it would have felt shoehorned and like, dude, why are you here? But that can be a, a team up for a later time. It doesn't preclude that happening. Um, you know, the whole idea of the spinoffs and one show to set up others. Okay. That these other universes don't do. It's not as if Marvel as in points all over its timeline. It's, it's not. Yeah. You know, Captain Marvel occurs, uh, 25 years before the events of other things. And Captain America is the earliest on their, their timeline and everything like that. But otherwise it's all in and around the same time and that they have several shows in and around one particular time and then things earlier and really much earlier and way down the line and 15 years from now and all that. I, I, I think they're taking care of it. 
Pete, in the recap, I had made a reference to Cloth Vidian. Can you take us on a ride of the tale of the mustache? So a lot of people had pointed to Giancarlo Esposito not having the mustache he's had as this character before. And, you know, as uh, stylish as it is, I would even point there's a little bit of a familiarity of that particular mustache that a jerk ruined for all time that once was called the chaplain. I, I think there's some intent behind the style of mustache he's he's had before, but did not have that when he showed up in this season. And also none of the clones have it. Okay. There is no way that Alpha Moff Gideon is dead. None whatsoever. That there is not a mustache in sight on any of these guys from a visual standpoint opens up. There is an alpha donor out there uh, who did not put all his clones in one base ket so that they could all be taken out. Okay. Um, because uh, as Din Djarin tells Grogu, we have to take out Moff Gideon now or it'll never end. It, it didn't end. It's not over. Okay. Matt, no one sits baby in a corner. No one kills Moff Gideon other than Grand Admiral Thrawn. I, I, I love this theory in part because, you know, it's in the writerly sense, we get to have our cake and eat it too. Um, you don't see... You shouldn't see a twist coming, but it should be once the twist has happened, you should you kind of, you know, in that almost detective story, you know, the killer revealed kind of kind of way when you're given all the evidence, you should say, yes, I 100 percent understand now the ability to kill off Moff Gideon as a season arc, as a three season arc rap and all of that really, really works. They think he's dead. They think he's dead. Which is and all you need. <laughs> just the ability, you know. I don't always watch the previously ons in part because, you know, we, <laughs> we spend 90 minutes a week reflecting on these episodes and I spend time with the notes and with the, the, like, I don't need to watch a previously on for an episode that I watched a week, you know, to have to include elements from an episode I watched a week ago that I podcasted five days ago and so on and so forth. But folks, if you watch the previously ons, if you're watching a star Wars could be as soon as Ahsoka this summer, could be Skeleton Crew, could be next season Mandalorian. If you're watching one where visually they're showing you some of the scant footage of Moff Gideon, uh, the Moff Gideon clones in the tubes, and they're showing those close-ups, uh, and they're showing him in his monologue before the helmet goes on in this episode, that may be them reminding you that all these guys have no mustaches. So later in whatever episode you're watching, uh, when he returns you know, that it could be explained pretty quickly. Uh, what you're saying, Pete, the notion of the alpha donor donor or the main Moff Gideon and essentially the idea that in this episode we get Cloth Gideon, clone Moff Gideon, as the main clone here who perhaps thinks he's the real guy or whatever it is. It's right there for the taking. I mean, it's not just like because sci-fi, because cloning is going on. The greatest trick the devil, the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. We get to have our Moff Gideon devil for future seasons and future stories. It's right there for the taking. And 
on so many levels. You know, the mustache thing. Giancarlo Esposito as this mustache twirling villain who these versions, uh, you know, lacking that feature. And the way that Esposito has just completely uh, born down on this role. He has four daughters and they're super into watching the show. And uh, they've they've called him and say, Papa, please don't hurt that baby. Don't hurt the baby. And he's responded to them. He's told people this. I will squash that little bug eared bastard. Okay, like he's he's doubled down at every point with this. And, you know, when we get Thrawn in Ahsoka, maybe to have a throwaway line about the failure of Cloth Gideon, because, of course, he's going to know about these cloning experiments. Nothing gets by Thrawn. And he's five steps down the line to ultimately undoing Gideon. The, the lack of a body here, Matt, he's covered in Beskar, okay uh is is another way to go if that was the gideon prime if if we're gonna say that so you know it it doesn't have to be that uh you know he was off someplace else we've never fully understood you know the knowledge the training that a clone uh can necessarily have imbued in it and then this idea of cloning yourself the narcissism of that and then adding the force and that there'd be an army of of them the the perversion of that um but again he'd never be so stupid as to have all of himself in one place to not have a backup to not have a a safety valve like come on we we know all too well he's much brighter than that Thrawn's just you know next level you know Thrawn is Moriarty to uh Gideon's you know just dark imperial uh KGB type of identity Pete you have referenced Grand Admiral Thrawn a few times now uh we know Thrawn is appearing returning in the Ahsoka series would you like to go on the record? Do we get Moff Gideon in some form? Do we get do we get Giancarlo Esposito in the Ahsoka series? Is that the crossover? Not that this has set up. This is a clear setup for a thing that we've heard is coming or a thing that we know is coming, as in with Ahsoka's appearance in season two of Mandalorian, blah, blah, blah. But have we set up something that we don't know the trajectory and that we don't know, but we won't be... We won't be uh, disbelieving if it happens this summer in Ahsoka. Thrawn would seem to be the massive looming threat. And then the thing that Star Wars, if not has already figured out, needs to figure out is now that the Emperor long term one will be recloned here and then down the road can no longer be the big threat how is star wars going to navigate that are they going to do like they did in the books and creating a, a alien threat 
that's happened a couple different ways. You know, we went with one and then we kind of redid the idea a little bit and did another. And that Thrawn might be that maybe even there's some kind of, you know, we're going to put our differences aside and fight this other thing that's going to kill us all so that we can go back to killing one another type of idea. But the thing that's going to help us really ground the threat that is Thrawn is what small potatoes Gideon will be to him. And maybe that's not even mentioning him. Like I said before, I really just like a line of, you know, after Moff Gideon's failure on Mandalore, blah, 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 blah. Okay. We haven't seen the return. We've had Captain Pelion show up for the first time uh, ever, other than a voice in, in Rebels to, uh, you know, talk about how Thrawn's return will herald in a, a new time for their military. Now is the time to, to see that. And I think there's just so much going on in Ahsoka. It doesn't leave space for Gideon. It would seem that Skeleton Crew uh, would would be a different type of story. And I don't really see Imperial involvement with that. They're going to film more... Uh, uh, at least they're scheduled to start production on Mandalorian season four in uh, October in the fall. Okay. So there's more coming. We'll have to wait and see how that is. We're going to get a, a, another end of the Imperial stuff. And John Favreau is going to make sure we see more of him. What else are you getting out of this episode in terms of theories for the future? Just as a practicality, Matt, where were the children, the settlers of the Mandalorians during the battle? They weren't on a light cruiser, or at least they shouldn't have been. I guess they were all on the gauntlets the whole time and just stayed up in those while Ma and Pa went and fought a midair battle. Uh, or maybe still back on Navarro. Um, I, I will grant you that it's a it's a blind spot in the story, but if if you want if John Favreau rolls on up in the um, behind the scenes stuff and says, yeah, I assume the kids just stayed there with like old Nana, um, and they stayed there, and then it would have been a boring scene to be like, now let's go send a ship to get them, and now let's show them packing up camp, and now let's show them. like again we have a certain momentum at the end of the season, so. Everybody got to Mandalore okay as time passed in order to relight the forge and be there for Mandalore. Um, you know, I think it's one of those, it's, the answer is it's the thing you didn't see in the show and you know it worked out okay. Like there's no like, oh man, too bad all those kids died. Um, so therefore you can infer everything worked out just fine. Maybe Ragnar was babysitting all of them between the haircut, Matt, when we saw him before he put his helmet on for good and the trajectory now, I, I do feel it a little bit of a missed opportunity that we didn't in some way memorialize Paz Vizsla, who I speculated maybe he wasn't dead, but now we know he was fully dead. Um, but, you know, no Mandalorian has ever been, I don't know, orphaned and then gone on to do stuff have they <laughs> um i think had it had it been at a different point in the season it would have been an interesting story point to see a mandalorian funeral 
again, I, don't, I think story-wise, that, that fell off the table. You want to maybe double down, you, John Favreau, and Dave Filoni, you want to double down and say maybe Mandalorian's kind of in a, in a, in a Klingon sense, you know, maybe they they have a very brief mourning period, and then it's like, you know, just rub dirt in your emotional wound and continue, uh, you know, let the tears flow behind your helmet, but be tough and that sort of thing. Again, I'm not saying that that is the way it must be, but again, it kind of it serves the story here to not spend a whole lot of time uh, with the uh, the you know story stuff, and and again with the time jump that we know happened in the last. You know, since the explosion, we know there's time jumps, whatever that might be. And perhaps it's in those times when the, the funeral occurred and the mourning happened and, and all of that. And you can still move forward with that. I like that we've set up a new character potentially to return to. And he could be a little bit older because we can't tell that Din's changing and, and aging under the armor. And that Grogu barely ages, but whoa, this kid looks like he's 15 now and he's taller. It'd be another way to uh, advance the time of that story. As you mentioned before, you know, there would seem the subtext that the armorer may have been Din Djarin's teacher. It's another way to return to her. It's another way to include her in the stories. Hey, I took you on this trip one time and we did this like you're now doing, or she could accompany them. There's a lot of different ways to vary those journeys that they're going to continue to go on. Particularly, I think of the kind of narrative success of the Tales of the Jedi kind of you know, slim series, right? Those are kind of, how long was each episode? Maybe eight minutes, 10 minutes? There's more coming. I know there's more coming, but my, my point being like, maybe a companion to that is Tales of the Mandalorians or the Tales of Mandalore. And you want to see, you want to see teen armorer taking her oath. And then later on, there she is as a, as a priestess apprentice, as a junior priestess, um, just not sure in herself of can you know can she can can she take up this mantle? But then look, here's the foundling Dinjarin who uh, is hurting, and she reaches out to him, and that's where the the connection is formed. You know, I think there there's a rich story space that can exist. It's obviously old hat for Star Wars to say, well, let's tell the story in between the other stories. Um, but I think Star Wars does it in a way that's authentic because it's built on this massive story scale and it's not necessarily the you know oh you just left a hole in order to do the comic series and the novel series and to do you know star wars shorts um i would i would really look forward to a tales of the man you know tales of mandalore the animated short series i'd i'd scoop that up in a heartbeat sign me up a lot of people pointing to the last jediing of the dark saber bat because a laser sword can't be broken and fixed again. Again, a couple of thoughts again, the notion that in the time jump, it just like, let's say, let's say that the behind the scenes discussion from the armorer and Bo-Katan was no, no, no. Like there is no 
But then when the people are reunited, the Darksaber can sleep again. Like, no, you still need the Darksaber. Okay, let's fix this bad boy. It's not it, It's not an appropriate time in the last five minutes of this season to sit and go fix in montage. Now she has a thing. Like, clearly she's successful in her last scene, the reuniting of the Forge. Uh, Bo-Katan is successful as a leader. If maybe people are like, wait, but the ceremony says you have to wave the, the dark saber. Well, she has no dark saber. Therefore, how about this? Writerly solution. She doesn't need to, need to wave the thing around her head. They've relit the forge. Problem solved. Um, if you want to give us dialogue in season four, you know, oh, for it is a new age and we no longer need the dark saber. Cool, that's fine too. If nothing else, that then creates fun story problems like Bo-Katan could say, ah, oh, we're trapped in the thing. If only I still had the dark saber, but I don't. Um... But yeah, I don't think that you... A, I don't think that you need it for this story. B, this is a pretend made-up culture. You want to tell me in the future she doesn't need it anymore. That's fine, too. Uh, but most importantly, it was getting late in the episode. And you know, I would have welcomed an hour-long episode. That's not the pace of this. This is a perfectly paced episode. And it's time to get a move on in the last five minutes. And again... It could work either way. It could be let it die, that this is the new age of Mandalore, that we don't need this thing anymore. Or they can reconstruct it again. And maybe the tradition of it changes because it's not as if beliefs change or get modified or anything like that. Much like Matt, people are freaking out. Wait, Din is his family name and Jaren is his name? But wait, Paz Vizsla... And, you know, uh, Previsla and Bo-Katan Krees and Satine Krees and all that. Um, if you've ever heard of Gunga Din, uh, Grogu Din is just a little too close to that and perhaps open to some confusion. So they just flipped it around, right? Maybe Din Djarin originally, the culture he came from, it's more like... Uh, you know, some of your Eastern cultures where the family name and the individual name are flipped. Or maybe in this pretend thing, you take the adopted, you, when you're adopted, you take your adoptive parents' first name and not, you know, like, again, if this is Star Wars, this is weird out there, different galaxy kind of stuff. You want to sit and go, oh, well, it's confusing that we did this in our World War II movie. Okay, yeah. It's this weird out, this weird culture. Yes, we've seen Paz Vizsla and Pre Vizsla, and the last name is the the surname and all of that. If this is what people are concerned about, like I, I don't, I, I don't know, you know. Like again, this is so far out and so made up that you could easily, you know, it's not the time in the episode to say, as you know, you shall take the father's first name. Like there's pacing to this scene here. And if that's really what people are giving a hoot about, I'd recommend don't give a hoot. It worked because they did it, and there's not a story reason why they shouldn't have. Therefore, you cede the road to Jon Favreau. There's undoubtedly more Mythosaur coming. Uh, Matt, seems like a really filmic thing to do, perhaps. Like, we loaded that into season three, but as we're preparing for the movie. We know that we're going to have a massive battle between a mythosaur and a Zillow beast and all these other things and, and cover it with, with Beskar plating and all that. 
just because you didn't do a whole lot more with it now doesn't mean there's not more coming. Well, and I think that's where let's return to season two for a second. We, you and I and others that, you know, read entertainment headlines and whatnot knew that there was a all virtual investor thing that was the announcement of the Ahsoka series back in December, 2020. Um, so there, or maybe it's November, 2020. So like, therefore when she showed up, we could in, in season two of Mandalorian, we could see how it was set up for a show that had been officially announced to wall street. Um, and we could see at the end of season two with the announcement of a book of Boba Fett, show we could see that season two was setting up the book of boba fett show and we could see with uh with uh <laughs> cara dune gonna get a spinoff and not like all of that was kind of due to external knowledge for stuff that was out there if i'm john favreau like that's all well and good and it was you know covid lockdown how does that mix with hollywood scary time obviously in general for many people let alone in terms of your vocation and hollywood and all that so, of course, get that info out there. Hey, Wall Street, we're still making Star Wars shows. We're still all those things. Wonderful. We, how, if I'm John Favreau and if I'm Dave Filoni, the challenge is now, how do we set up stuff in the future that people don't know is a setup, right? As you're saying, Pete, the Mythosaur, flying the Mythosaur into battle did not happen this season. Well, maybe it is a season four thing. Maybe it is Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, Surprise Book of Boba Fett season two, like whatever it is. The fact that we don't know, and one day we're going to sit down and say, oh, I wonder what happens in, you know, Skeleton Crew Episode 2. Uh, it was a fun little start with those kids and their hover bikes and their ETs and their whatever. And then sit and go, oh my goodness, the Mandalorian just showed up on a, on a Mythosaur riding it. And like, what's the story there? We're prepped for it. We just don't see it coming, which means we get some of that wonder that Luke Skywalker returns wonder that, you know, oh my goodness, Ahsoka is going to get her. You know, some people, Pete, are going to be blown away when they start to see Ahsoka advertisements. They don't know it's coming, right? We know, you and I know, our listeners know, the idea of that brand new, you know, plastic wrap, taking the plastic wrap off. We might be in that boat, even though, for Mandalorian stuff, even though here we are talking about it so deeply. <laughs> All right, extend that antenna. Pete, we start with our Twitter poll, uh, which was uh, on Twitter, as Twitter polls often are, although people know we're also, uh, we've been dropping those polls a day early over uh, for free, free to all on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. But looking at the Twitter poll, the options were one frog, din dull, 4.2%, two frogs, din delinquent, 4.2%, three frogs, din daring, 25%, and four frogs, din delightful, uh, that got 66.7%. Some replies on Twitter from uh, Kelly, that's at Antipodal, marvelous, awesome, sensational, fantastic, wonderful, this is the way. Uh, Pete, she even included a, uh, she had the smile emoji, the heart emoji, and a Vulcan salute emoji, which for a brief second I was like, did I just click on the wrong poll? Did I click on the Picard <laughs> poll? Um, worlds are colliding. Worlds are colliding. Uh, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille said, those poor frogs, Grogu is a menace. I enjoyed this finale and season. It could be a fitting conclusion or still have more to tell. I think Gideon is smarter than to have all his clones in one place. I'm sure he will be back. I can't wait for Ahsoka and beyond. Uh, Eric Pritchard replied to that at coach underscore Pritch. 
have to agree about the clones, right? The real cost we faced was in the penultimate episode with the demise of Paz. No serious cost here except the loss of the Darksaber, but it was a fun finale for sure. Uh, next tweet here from Arya Needs a Spinoff at uh, KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Wow, what a great way to end the season. Uh, next season, Grogalorian. It would be cool if uh, he could also somehow continue his Jedi training, Jedi Lorian. Amazing jetpack scenes and great effects overall. I really thought we'd see Cobb Vant this season, at least to acknowledge he is alive. Uh, he was in that tank, wasn't he? Who were the spies of last episode? I'm glad it wasn't the armorer, or was it? And I hope new, uh, eventually, hope to eventually see the full Mythstorm in action. Great season. Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Cobb Vanth is alive and well. We know that. We will see him again. It just remains to be seen where that's gonna be. Bob Keeley at R. Keeley said, A delightful episode and a fitting cap to the season. Nice to see Grogu getting to do more than just look cute. Next beat we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. Too many Mandos? Never. He's now Din Grogu. Exactly who were the spies? Really liked Jar and Grogu team up. Exit the Dark Saber. Trial by fire for Gideon. Under new enforcement, IG-11. Relaxing by the frog pond. Now on to Ahsoka. We also heard from Drive-By Wrestling Pod. That's at Drive-By Pod. We got Rocketeer Woves, Mando Jetpack Air Battles, Iron Man Do Suits, uh, Force Grogu, a video game gauntlet run. If only we got an end to that mask mandate. What a phenomenal with a PH episode. Hashtag Mandalorian. We heard from Jordan Tanner, The Mighty Jor. It was mostly great. I love the way Din Djarin and Grogu look after each other. Heart emojis. And last tweet here, Pete, from at GoonerJCH. It was such a straightforward episode that I got confused. Was expecting some twists. And the wrap-up was so final. It could almost serve as a series finale. Is there going to be a time jump at the start of the next season? Your thoughts there, Pete? Time jump. I don't think we're seeing it till 2025. So... I, I think they'll continue on in real time. Like I said, you know, there's there's limited options in terms of showing our characters are moving through time. You know, all right, Navarro gets more built up. Uh, there's more greenery on Mandalore and some characters that take their helmets off, uh, you know, look different. Some that are younger that keep their helmets on get taller. That that would seem to be the the way that we go. Matt, we also ran our poll on Patreon uh, because you know blue dots go away and things like that. But eighty percent voted for the Din delightful over there. Interestingly, the second leading uh category was two frogs din delinquent with 15 percent five said three frogs din daring nobody thought it din dull but that's just how patrons gonna patron even though this is free for all to vote in jindo fox wrote a satisfying ending to the show i'd be fine with them leaving it there and having a time jump when the mando storyline resumes Kyle Stevens wrote, I liked it a lot as an ending to this season, but this season was up and down for me and just picking nits, but we can't catch the child stealing uh, lizard bird with our jetpacks, but Axe Wove 
Wolves has just enough thrust to reach escape velocity to reach the fleet. Also, if he is Din Grogu, are they Clan Din? I was expecting Grogu Jaren, but it uh, goes against the naming convention we've already set up. Clan Vizsla, Clan Kreese, Clan Ren, Clan Din? Come on, folks. Maybe some of it is just the sound. Like Maybe they're like, we want to have him take the name, but what works well, you know... I don't know. I, I regarding Axe's jetpack, I think it's a fair it is a very fair criticism. If the answer is yeah, they chased after the beast for like uh I don't know, 6 hours and then that's when the gas gave out, but we weren't going to show you 6 full hours of <laughs> screensaver. This episode like, is 6 hours. Uh <laughs> and 7 minutes of it is straight uh jetpacking like uh bruce wayne in the snyder cut needing to ride a horse over mountains so i mean what i have proposed i think is an acceptable answer i would completely agree with the commenter there that you know pete we're gonna do that fantastic geek rule number one it could have been solved with a line of dialogue and they're all helmeted people so you could have watched this episode you know, uh, the people in the production have been like, ooh, that's an interesting question. Let's go back and have somebody say, we've been flying for hours and still we have not caught up with the beast. Um, that's, again, that's why I think, I, I imagine that could be the answer, but I was with you too. Like, there's no way Axe Wove can make it to space because, Axe Wove's, uh, because we saw the thing where he didn't get after the big bird. Uh, we also so... know he wasn't with that group. So maybe, like, the Night Owls have stronger jetpacks because they more often do that stuff. They solved the issue, which was, hey, how's he getting to the fleet? He jetpacked up. Okay. And I've seen people analyze like where the fleet was, that it's only like four and a half miles above, that they're right above the clouds and you can still see blue out the sky and stuff like that. Like it it works in your space wizard laser sword magic universe that a guy wrote a jetpack up to warn other people in a spaceship um but yeah like kyle said here picking nits and here here we're we're looking at the nits last comment here on patreon matt rosemary fairy writes i'm so glad axe made it and our regulars too if this is this the last we see of our mandalorian it is interesting how, how, I don't know, it's just kind of out there in the ether that this is, I guess because we didn't do a cliffhanger, this is now the end. Um, I, I'm not saying that's what that person literally said, but pre-production work is underway for season four. That much we know. Um, and, you know, I would, Pete, I would bet even money that between now and that next season, which is to say, presumably six episodes of Ahsoka and six episodes of Skeleton Crew, I would say even money, the Mandalorian shows up in one of them. Um, so we'll see. Pete, what do you have there over on Facebook? Robert T. Frost wrote in uh, about last week, Matt, after watching chapter 23, I now need two things for my Star Wars collection. A die-cast Imperial light cruiser with Mandalorian privateer markings, 
and a bottle of whatever it was that High Magistrate Karga gave to Din Djarin. Oh yes, this too, a die-cast Comric-class fighter-slash-transport that Bo-Katan flies. There's some great, there's some great ship designs this season. I know some of it is left over from last season, all of that, but it's it's been some some fantastic uh, spacecraft. Alan Thomas writes in to our Facebook page, much better than last week, even if Bo-Katan and Gideon both came across as cardboard cutouts. Not sure um, if it was writing or actual fault. Um, loved everything about Grogu and his delight with his robot body, even if people have posed valid questions about why he didn't use the force to aid his, quote, dad, unquote. I can uh, respect a hot take, even if I vehemently disagree with it. Pete, you are the first person I've ever heard defend somehow he returned. But even though I can't go with you, props for having the guts to take that chance. Personally, I find the whole New Order sequel plot to have been misgotten from the jump. A depressingly uncreative attempt to cash in on playing the old hits. So I hate to see the Mando show be turned to the purpose of explaining slash justifying that story and even the more misbegotten idea to recycle Palpatine. But it's clearly what they are doing, so I guess I need to try to get used to it. I'm uh, more in alignment with Pete on the question of the armorer secretly doing the bidding of Moff Gideon. It's not just a question of how recently she would have been in communication with him, but that it's hard to imagine her uniting the two Mandalorian tribes since that appeared to be expressly what Gideon did not want. Aren't the titular spies pretty clearly the refugees on the sailing craft? They sent them right into the trap after all. And I had responded responded to Alan saying, you know, I do love me some sequels. I really think that the somehow line is buried in Oscar Isaac can sell this with his charisma as well as cloning dark science. I don't know that there's a non drawn out explanation without delving into the M word. Can I evoke it? Metachlorians and that they were really kind of damned if they did damned if they didn't with the returning of Palpatine. Uh, Alan wrote back here. My problem isn't so much the line as the lame idea to bring Palpatine back to begin with. I said, I'd agree with him if uh, for a lack of a compelling villain to replace him. The thought of the Zelda ripoff brother character uh, that would have appeared makes the emperor more palatable. Uh, that said, they need to nail the antagonist going forward. Um, and Alan replied here, I never liked Palpy in the original trilogy to begin with. I hadn't heard about this brother character. Um, Matt, you might remember, but just for the, the context for everyone in uh, both Clone Wars and then it was done to a lesser extent in, in Star Wars Rebels. There's the the Mortis 
stories and it, it it's not among the best of what's done there it's a way of kind of explaining the force and kind of a triumvirate and there's a father and a sister and a brother and at one point it was a possible direction for what they were going to do we remember that matt smith was somehow involved with episode nine things changed we had thank goodness the jurassic world director bounce and go back to do more dinosaur stuff and that never came to be um but you know we never got that robert t frost did jump in here as well uh, to take a little sidestep from your conversation, I'm going to swing for the fences, the cloning technology, but not for the emperor. I'm wondering if Dr. Pershing is going to return as himself and not only in a flashback. I'm predicting, predicting that Moff Gideon has grown himself a new Dr. Pershing. He has cloning tech. The clones were grown at an accelerated rate and were also taught at an accelerated rate, I think it's possible that our original Dr. Pershing has advanced his research enough that his knowledge can be, quote, reinserted, unquote, into a clone body, thereby making the original Dr. Pershing death in Chapter 19 an easier solution instead of a kidnapping slash rescue. I just want to be clear with Robert there. I don't think it was implied that Dr. Pershing died, more so, you know, had his his brains I like Matt's word, tickled, or or more even scrambled. I, I would agree that if the next time we hear about Doctor Pershing, it's oh he died in that therapy accident on Coruscant, then I will say okay he's dead. Pending that, pending a body, pending a death certificate, that sort of thing. I don't I don't know that we were meant to solely uh, infer that he that he. Um, was killed in that listen he is in a new republic rubber room right now eating yellow travel biscuits okay that were eventually going to return to him and he's he's got to regain his or unlock his knowledge to the email inbox we go first one here from steve adams the word epic is greatly overused in our vernacular today but this was an epic season finale this episode felt really short but what is likely due to uh, that is likely due to the nonstop action it was great to see grogu participate in the action it felt like he took major steps forward in his growth i just wish we could have heard him speak for real the Mandalorian's charge back into the cavern was an amazing visual piece with so many moving parts. Seeing Gideon's final end was satisfying, especially after revealing his plans for adding force sensitivity to his clones. Now we know why he was trying to uh, acquire Grogu. But what of Pershing? Surely we could have gotten him into more than one episode. Ragnar's initiation was heartwarming. Oddly enough, it felt like this could have been a series finale as everything wrapped up so nicely. I'm not really sure where this series goes from here. That does mean it can go almost anywhere, and I'm here for it. Until Ahsoka, stay fantastic. That from Steve Adams. I think we're going to get our Mandalorian hunting down some Imperials and maybe even some other threats that might be menacing the New Republic pirates and such. Pete, we also heard from Josephina, uh, who said, Hey, Fantastic Geek. I uh, normally don't make comments about The Mandalorian. I'm more of a Star Trek person, but I want to start with how much I've been fangirling over Katie Sackhoff. I've liked her since Battlestar Galactica. 
I'll get more into her later, though. Last week, I was listening to your show, and it was mentioned there being spies. I guess I never picked up on that. I went to this finale hoping no one was going to backstab anyone. So glad Axe nor the Armorer did anything shady. From last week's podcast, it didn't dawn on me that when Axe flew to the surface to warn the fleet, uh, he was going to get them. The only mode of transportation was taken by the Armorer uh, was with the wounded. We've seen the jetpacks malfunction before when flown for too long. I guess his had an upgrade. And they fly fast, like as fast as their troop transport car- uh, carriers. OMG, when the Armorer spoke on comms, Lady Krees, your reinforcements have arrived. We got to see the Armorer kick ass this season. OMG, the episode with the pirates. She walked in behind them all, assassin-like with her hammer. And with a single swing, bam, she took each of them out, finally uppercutting the guy uh, with the 50. Uh, with the 50 cal like gun looked like the balcony edge uh, like this is my way uh, then in the episode she's flying side by side with Bo-Katan and their reinforcements about to get some everyone has a has a phaser gun maybe she means laser gun or rockets the armorer has her hammer smashing Moff Gideon's commandos mid-air the smithereens um, OMG when Din Djarin was fighting the three red guys and Grogu screeched no no then they all went for Grogu, ah, my heartstrings. OMG, when Bo-Katan and Gideon started fighting the music, uh, sorry, fighting the music was much like the theme song of the Phantom Menace Jedi fight scene between Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Darth Maul. Did you guys hear it? I got chills. Now that I think about it, was Gideon trying hard to be like a Sith? I mean, his helmet does have those little uh, horns like Darth Maul. Used black and red. Voice sounded like Darth Vader and Kylo Ren under the helmet put the force to his clones which he didn't have if so imitation is the sincerest form of flattery back to Bo-Katan her battle cry was motivating and perfect I knew some females in the corps it's the marine corps who would scream their battle cry and it was more funny than scary Bo-Katan's was on point it was hilarious uh, though when she used her little forearm shield uh, it barely covers anything Grogu came in clutch though using the force uh, providing a shield it was very angelic like Grogu was adopted. I'm guessing next season will be Father and Son Bounty Hunter Adventures. I'll leave you with how much Mandalorians are like a beehive. Mandalorians are stronger together. Semper Fi, that from Josefina. So glad to hear Josefina migrate over and comment here on the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek. Pete, let's now check our uh, listener line inbox at 732-707-1815 where we're going to hear from Jackie Wolf. Hi, Matt and Pete. This is Jackie Wolf calling for feedback on the last episode of the latest season of The Mandalorian. I just finished watching, so I'm kind of still processing everything, but I'll jump right in. Uh, so Moff Gideon, um, he strikes me as the type of bad guy who maybe just wouldn't be a bad guy if he'd been hugged more as a kid. He just doesn't like himself. He wants to be literally anybody else. He wants to be a Jedi with Force powers. He wants to be a Mandalorian with Beskar armor and a cool dark saber. I think he just needs therapy. Like, just get this guy some therapy. <laughs> they didn't spare a single thought for Pazila in this episode. Um, ending the series with Ragnar's ceremony, uh, finishing the ceremony anyway. Well, it was a nice touch, but I guess it just felt a little forced. Like, okay, kid, your father's gone. Moving on. I just, I, I feel like maybe we could have spared a beat for you know, showing Ragnar being a little brave, or I guess we couldn't see his face, so we couldn't 
really, um, you know, convey that emotion there. But it would have been really nice to have some mention of Taz or maybe it would be cool to have a surprise reveal of the armor, you know, being Ragnar's mom or something. It just would have been cool to have that be a little more personal. Um, Overall, I'm not really one to complain about shows that I watch. I don't think that I could do it better, you know, or anything like that. I love the show. I'll continue to watch it. But I have to say when this episode ended, I I just kind of felt like a little underwhelmed. Again, I'm calling like right after I watched it. So maybe I'll have more thoughts on why that is. But the only thing I'll say now is that in the penultimate episode, I felt like they were setting up for someone to, you know, have this big betrayal. Maybe the armor, maybe Axe Woes, maybe Bo-Katan. None of that really came to bear. We also had nobody exciting show up, no Boba Fett, no Thrawn. Um, the last thing that I'll say is my phone, As I, I, I take notes as I uh, watch episodes, and my phone automatically autocorrects the word Thrawn to be in all caps because whenever I've typed it in the past in, like, you know, messaging friends or whoever, whenever I've typed it, I've used all capital letters because I'm so excited about the prospect of seeing him in live action in the Ahsoka series. I just, I cannot wait for that. I am so excited for that series. So I hope you guys are well, and I will see you for the Ahsoka series. Pete, I love that whole voicemail. I especially love that there she is kind of able to send it right after watching the episode and that that immediacy of it. Um, I see it was sent uh, or was left Wednesday afternoon. So I know, you know, we always get the poll up when it gets posted and sometimes, you know, real life might delay that by a couple hours or whatever it might be. And I just love that she had thoughts and she 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 jumped on in Mandalorian style to share those thoughts on the listener line. And we love hearing them. We do. You know, you guys make this thing. Um, same with the idea here of Moff Gideon's self-loathing that he doesn't want to be himself. So he's taking from the cloners, the Jedi, the Mandalorian. Uh, it'd be great if they branch out further that he wants to take from from others you know maybe it's a way uh, again we're we've got to see him again that he would undercut Thrawn that perhaps there's something coming there we haven't seen yet he could try to appropriate from him so you're saying that Gideon wants to assimilate everyone else's biological and cultural <laughs> distinctiveness into his own it it would seem that way and and really hates his own Pete, let's now move to the warm love that is Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with a little feedback for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 8, the Season 3 Finale. Let's really hope that we will get a fourth season, because I really like this show, and it gets more and more interesting Although I wonder what the next thing will be. Could this episode be a series finale? Well, I do think so. Uh, I mean, Moff Gideon is dead. The Mandalorians have their planet back. Well, the Darksaber is gone. I hope they will put Bo-Katan on their throne anyhow, also without Darksaber. But I wondered, did it feel for me like a series finale? And actually, it didn't. I don't know why. 
I mean, there was a big bang going with the space cruiser into a planetary uh, imperial military base. Apart from all the fights with more or less equals, I mean, stormtroopers with Beskar and with jetpacks makes it a little more difficult than the regular stormtroopers. And then those three guys in red suits. They are quite tough. They killed that big Mandalorian with his stun gun. Nitpick talking about jetpacks. I think it's very strange that that fraction that was on Mandalore in that sailing boat, they have a kind of worn down capes. Well, a jetpack and a cape, uh, is that a good combination? Great that IG-11 functions again. Great that the Big Forge functions again. Great that Din Djarin has a little house and a job as contractor. I mean, if we look back in the Star Wars history, Mandalorians were mostly hired guns anyhow. Great that Grogu, sorry, Din Grogu, still can play with frogs. And great, Matt and Pete, that you did this series. Thank you very much for this ride. Till whenever. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you, Fred, for being along on that ride. We hope we're going to see you for Ahsoka in August. And then, you know, we've got Picard finishing up. I would expect they'll have some some audio for us uh, tomorrow for that and then be along with us for at least Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, but we'll have to see. We are confirmed for a fourth season of The Mandalorian, Fred, so we're, we're definitely getting that, and it would seem that the setup is going to be that week-to-week hired gun and, and doing that for the New Republic. Love to see maybe Carson Teva as like the, the Bosley you know, giving him his uh, Charlie's Angels uh, mission of the week or, or what have you. But that would seem at this point to be the direction going forward. Fred's communique and a number of the communiques this week kind of kind of saying goodbye until we next meet. <laughs> I know, Pete, we'll be talking more Mandalorian next week as we wrap up the season, let alone you kind of uh, prognosticating and anticipating the perhaps the behind-the-scenes um documentary offering will happen on or around may the 4th so let alone the fact that you know the journey always continues on the pop culture podcast feed and all all that we have going on there some some announced some not for may and into june and all of that but but pete this entire trip to mandalore the retaking of mandalore made by those who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and our thanks that they have helped keep our great forge alit Yes, everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. It just takes a dollar a month to get you in that door. We've made the polls for The Mandalorian uh, free for this uh, season. We're going to do that for our season wrap next week. I have a say there can't contribute this month get yourself over to apple podcast you can leave us a rating or a review that helps us just as much as a monetary contribution 
And Pete, let's keep the Star Wars conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,861 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, looking back lost, do me touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. On the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back tomorrow to talk the season, nay, series finale of Star Trek Picard. And again, back next Star Wars Saturday to wrap up this season of The Mandalorian. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. For Mandalore!